the midst of a series on Sunday mornings which um, is about understanding or knowing God's story, God's big picture from, uh, from Genesis right the way through to Revelation. And um, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Not all of it, just one part of it, obviously. Uh, but we're, we're in number 24 of the series. We've been doing it all the way through the year and it will carry on for another few more weeks. Let me just... Um, oh, when we started the series back in the first week of January, many of you will have picked up one of these kind of diagrams I gave you. If we go on to the next slide, please, you'll be able to kind of see a summary kind of version. This is just a, a quick idea. And what I want to look at this morning is this idea that actually the beginning and the end of the Bible, right? At the beginning and the end of the Bible, you've got bookends, haven't we, in a sense? Well, they are in the Bible story. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is one bookend, the story of the Garden of Eden, of God's creation, made in its perfection. When you get to Genesis 3, sin comes into the world, and humanity falls and and loses its uh, relationship with God. You get to the end of the Bible, and you're into Revelation 21 and 22. It's the other bookend. Because when you get to that end, you get the new heaven and the new earth. You get the restored kingdom of God. You get the new Eden, if you want to put it in that way. So here it is, God is God's kingdom kind of bookends the whole thing together. And the story in between the two is about God fulfilling his purposes, fulfilling his purposes in humanity and how humanity experiences God's salvation redemption plan throughout history, how we experience it, through the uh, choosing of Abraham, God chose a people unto himself, the making of covenants, the bringing of God's law, the purposes of the worship in the temple, the time of the kings, when David was made king and was told that there would be a a king on, on your throne forever, and yet the kings that followed him were a disaster. And then there was the rise of the prophetic voice that kept saying, there is hope, there is still more and the best to come. And so we had those great prophets in the Old Testament, the smaller ones and the bigger ones, if you want to put it that way. And then we came to that period between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And remember back in January I said that so often people kind of divide their Bibles and they say, well, you know, the the good news is in the New Testament and the bad news is in the Old Testament. That's not true. It's all one book. Tear out that page that separates the two. The story goes on. There shouldn't be a blank page there. It was just a blank in history for a number of years of prophetic silence. But suddenly, all the angels broke loose, didn't they? You know the Christmas story. There are more angels in, you know, in breaking out around Christmas than any other time. And amazingly, God brings His Son, Jesus Christ. The Son of God, God in the flesh, came to earth. And in Christ, in a way, what we see is God, the first words he, well, some of the first words he wants to say is, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is in you. The kingdom is here. Because in Jesus, we get that personification of the kingdom of God. What we're getting, in a way, is a, just a, a glimpse into perfection. The God-man who didn't sin. 
And that's what we see in Jesus. This, he, he, you can, you can summarize him. He is the king. That's why it's perfect. He was perfect. The world is perfect at that point in time, just around him. That's why these amazing things would happen around him. Jesus was the personification of God's kingdom in a way. And this story, kind of, we know that we've been looking at, I'll come to that in a minute, but we know that the story goes on and Jesus is crucified and it looks like a disaster in terms of God's kingdom. And in a way, we must, must think, well, you know, the, the enemy, Satan, must be laughing. Jesus, the Son of God, is dead. But we know what happens on the third day, don't we? Jesus rises again. Jesus ascends to his throne next to his Father and is coming again to pick up all of those who will believe in his name and will spend eternity in a perfected kingdom at the end of time. This is the story of God's redemption plan as it impacts on our lives. And we're looking in this period, these last few weeks, we've been looking at the incarnation, the Jesus, the Son of God, as he came as a man on the earth. And um, we can understand that, actually, if we move on to the next slide, I think there's a few things I want us to just to pick up. One of the names of Jesus, wasn't it, is Emmanuel, God with us. Right? When we think God with us, Jesus says the kingdom is here. The kingdom is with us when Jesus is with us. You can't separate Jesus and his kingdom, the king and the kingdom. There's an awful lot of talk in, in theological circles that wants to ignore certain aspects, but you can't. There's this, this bond between the king and his kingdom, and Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And that's why we say as a Christian, it's automatically, it's not about just believing in God. God is anything you want him to be. There's a smorgasbord of what God is. But when we say Jesus is God, you can actually come to the, to the Bible and you can see specifically what he's like. And a Christian is one who has recognised that Jesus is God. And he died for me. And therefore I'm trusting him for eternity. That's what a basic means to be a Christian. You have to answer those questions. Who is Jesus and what did he do? And if you get nothing else from this message today, and I keep banging back to those questions for you to go and be challenged over, work it out, come and discuss it. We can sit down and have a drink together and talk things over. Who is Jesus and what did he do? And therefore, what would it mean to you? So when we talk of the of saying that Jesus is here, we can we saying that the kingdom is here. Jesus brings his kingdom, his rule, and his reign. He brought it into that area, geographically, that place in Palestine, Nazareth, Galilee. But he brings it into our hearts when we receive him. John and Violetta want the rule and reign of God to be their guide for their lives. It's what I want for my life and for my family. I'm sure you do for yours. But we need to get to that point. And so actually when we say, thy kingdom come, we're asking Jesus to be real. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the same thing as saying, thy kingdom come. Come, Holy Spirit. It's the same as saying, kingdom come. 
It's the rule and reign of God breaking into the present. It's that glimpse of the future. That perfection of the kingdom of God breaking into the present. I live under his authority with his guidance and with his strength. And we're talking with Louis, we've been looking at the ministry of Jesus and Jack spoke about the Sermon on the Mount, just a part of what we call the teaching of Jesus because Jesus tells us about life. Don last week told us about this great I, I am statements. Brilliant point he brought out. They're all about life. It's about how you get life, how you have eternal life. What's the root? Who is it that brings it? How do you get it? Jesus' teaching was, how do you live that life? The parables were all about, what is that kingdom like? And how do we enter into it? And I want to talk this morning briefly about the miracles of Jesus, because they're not separate from the teachings, the words of Jesus. The wonders of Christ are not separate from the words of Christ. They have the same message. They all speak about this kingdom of God. Now, some Christians tend to kind of get confused about this and start talking about, you know, God's kingdom breaking into the kingdom of, of the devil or something. There aren't two kingdoms. There's only one kingdom. The devil, the devil is never a king. <laughs> All right? You need to remember that. The Bible never refers to the devil as a king. He's called the prince of darkness, but he ain't no king. You know? It's a Greek philosophy thing that creates a dualism, thinking that there's one kingdom against another kingdom. No, it's God's kingdom, but sin has broken down the barrier in the relationship of God, and so our relationship with God, and so actually Satan appears to rule, but he only does it with the limited authority that God lets him. And it's the rising up and the restoring. That's this plan of God through all generations. It's the restoring of His kingdom, the restoring of His rule. And there is a vital relationship between the words of Jesus and the wonders of Jesus. And theologians have often tried to explain miracles in a number of ways. One suggestion, they say, is that actually the miracles are just like adverts. They're kind of like an advert to make you listen to what Jesus has got to say. Well, that's not really quite the way it is. I'm sure if you have and experience a miracle, you might actually listen a bit more. But that's not their intention. Second suggestion is that actually somehow a miracle is a reward of faith. Maybe that, um, you know, your, your faith is rewarded. In the Bible seems to, you know, uh, even say that, so your faith has made you whole in some cases, doesn't it? Uh, and there are other references in a way that um, show that that's not the case where a miracle is not the recompense of great faith. Right? The third reason it offered about miracles is that somehow they came because Jesus was showing his compassion. Jesus showed his compassion. And he certainly does. Jesus had compassion on the crowd and he fed the 5,000. Jesus had compassion on the blind man and he healed him. But you see, all of those cases don't, don't add up. None of them are enough. You know, to the person who has faith but never receives a miracle, doesn't get healed, what message do they receive? That somehow your faith isn't great enough? Or the person who loves God and follows God 
and never receives a miracle? Is it because that somehow Jesus doesn't have compassion on them? And that doesn't add up. Because God loves us all. The words and the wonders of Jesus center on the kingdom of God. And there is no difference between those words and those works, those wonders. They say the same thing. They're announcements about God's rule, God's perfection, God's kingdom. So whether it's the preaching or the parables or the AIM statements, as well as these miraculous things, they're announcing the kingdom of God coming and active and actually doing something, bringing the rule of God to destroy what Satan has tried to make his own because we fell into sin from the book of Genesis onwards. So when we get to the end of Revelation, we're seeing everything being claimed back, aren't we? We see Jesus on the throne and we follow him. And that's what the parables are like. The way that the parable, uh, sorry, not parable, a miracle is like, the way a miracle needs to be understood in a sense is that the fullness of God, the, the purpose of God in the future is brought into the present. They are acts of power. That's what a miracle is. An act of power bringing that restoration that God has planned, he's brought it into the present and does something absolutely to blow our minds. A miracle is understood in that context of the battle against evil. 1 John 5 says the whole world is in the power of the evil one. For this reason, Christ was revealed. What for? To destroy the works of the evil one. Yeah? That's a great Christmas message. Jesus was born to destroy evil. And what we saw in the dips in that big story from the, between that bookend is because evil has taken its grip and Jesus comes to restore the rule and reign of God. And that's what a Christian is our hope. The rule and reign of We don't see it in its fullness now. That's still to come. We just see tastes of it, glimpses of it. We recognize that how Paul would say it, Satan is the God of this world. But he's not in control of this world. Satan is not sovereign. We've heard a lot about sovereignty, haven't we? God is sovereign. God is in control. Paul will tell us in that great chapter in Ephesians 6, better pick these up because I don't know what I'm saying, will I? In Ephesians 6, you know, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We need to remember that in these days. Our enemy is not other people. It's our battle against principalities and powers. The forces of evil. And we need to love one another and move forward together with what God has for us. And we need to recognize that, you know, we're, we're involved in a spiritual battle. The world is ensnared by Satan and his evil plans. But God 
has come to restore his kingdom and his purposes and his plan with his power. And a miracle is when it breaks in and does something special. I want to read to you from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, just a few verses from verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked the man and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all the people saw it and they also praised God. You see, when we think of miracles... And we can think of the theology of them, we can think of what they're there for. But isn't the real thing is in our hearts is, why doesn't God do something for me then? Isn't that what we think? Why don't I see one? I mean, much of my life, and I'm sure much of your life, is way beyond your control. Sometimes our best efforts aren't good enough. And the only thing that is going to help is if actually we had a miracle. You need a miracle if your daughter comes home and says she wants to join some new age commune, don't you? You need a miracle if actually your boss turns around and says to you, I've got to let you go. You need a miracle because you've got bills to pay and there's nothing in the bank. You need a miracle if your marriage is falling apart and communication is gone and you're wondering how you're going to make it then. You need a miracle if your doctor turns around and says, there's nothing I can do for you. You need a miracle for a lot of things, don't you? And so we can think about all those things on a big theological thing, but the question is, why didn't it happen for me then? What do I need to do to get a miracle? Well, I don't think you click your fingers and just it just appears like that. But in the Bible, you do read that miracles happen to ordinary people. And when you think, why doesn't it happen to me, then I want to say, I believe that God wants it to happen for you. And I want to look at that little story of that blind man being healed by Jesus just for a few minutes so we can learn some principles of, well, how will I one day see a miracle? How can I pray for a miracle? And there's a few things I want to draw out from it. And the first thing is you need to be passionate about, about what you want. See, that blind man, if you go on to, is passionate. He put his whole heart into it. He prayed with an intensity and a feeling of urgency. You know, if you're taking your shop, you're taking your children shopping just before Christmas... 
And you go around a toy shop and say, give me an idea of what you'd like for Christmas. And they go, I like that, I like that, and I like that, and I like that, and I like that. But I really like that. And that bit, that's your trigger, isn't it? It's the tone of all that. They like everything. But the real, I really like that one. You think, ah, oh, that's the one. What are you passionate about? What do you really want? God listens to our tone when we pray. Because some things we say we want, we don't really want. Because we don't want them bad enough even to pray twice for it. I prayed for that and it didn't happen. So you gave up. You weren't passionate about having it then, were you? Look at this man, he was passionate called out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he carries on. See, our problem with prayer is what I would call perfunctory prayer. Do you know what I mean by that? We say all the nice words. The longer you're a Christian, the more time you spend in church, you get churchified, and you have all those kind of religious words. And we say all the nice things, but actually, is it really coming from where we're at in our heart? Bless this, bless that. Dear Lord, help us to have a great day. You know, it's so perfunctory. When you don't pray with feeling, it means that you're not really being that honest before God. Jeremiah spoke in the Old Testament and spoke the words of God himself. He said, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. Half-hearted praying doesn't cut it. Some of the most spiritual prayers you can just say is, help me. That's what this man was saying when he saw Jesus. Son of David. He recognised who he was. Have mercy on me. And he was passionate about it. But secondly, he prayed persistently. Persistently. He kept going, didn't he? He asked again. Nobody was going to put him off. You know, there's someone saying, no, no, they're there, they're there. Don't make a disturbance now. Don't don't be too religious. That's what I've been charged with sometimes. Oh, you're a bit too religious. You're you're a bit of a fanatic. Yeah, I'm a fanatic because I believe in God. Believe in Jesus. But actually, we need to be persistent. Remember being persistent in prayer. It's not like we're nagging God. Somehow, if I beg God enough, he'll give in and give it to me. It doesn't work like that. Look at these wonderful verses. In Romans 8, we saw it, looked at this some months ago when we preached on this very verse. If God loved us you enough to give Jesus his son to die for you, he loves you enough to care for all your needs. Isn't that great? So I meet Christians all the time so I'm not sure if God really cares for me. Does God understand where I'm at with my health and with my marriage and my family problems and my finances? You know, does God care? Yes, he does. He cared enough to send his son for you. He cares for everything in your life. Being persistent shows what you really care about. Because if we don't care about something, we don't pray about it. Paul wrote this in the book of Colossians, do not be weary in prayer, keep at it and watch for God's answers. He's saying don't quit too soon. 
Another time, Jesus would say, wouldn't he? Ask, seek, knock. And we know that actually in the original Greek, it's that ongoing presentness. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. This very little incident in Luke chapter 18, the story at the beginning of that is when Jesus says, pray and don't give up. How many things have we prayed for? And I would see this. We'd pack up. Keep on. Third thing this man shows us about how if we want a miracle, what do we want, what do we need to do in that sense? Is be precise. Be precise. Don't be vague. Be specific. Tell God exactly what you do want. Vague prayers get vague answers. God bless this, God bless that. How do you know if it even happens? Hmm? There's a guy in, in this story, isn't he? Jesus comes to him and says, What do you want me to do? And he says, I want to see. Why? Because he's blind. Did Jesus know he was blind? Yes. Still asked the question, didn't he? What do you want? What do you want me to do? I believe God is here today, present by his Holy Spirit in his church, which is not the building, it's his people. God is here, and he wants to say to us, what do you want me to do? Have you ever thought what you really want God to do? If I challenged you, could you say what it is you really want God to do? The key to being precise, my friends, is that you write it down. There's something special when you start to write something down. It means you have thought about it, haven't you? And I want to give you some homework. What are the five things... You want God to do for your wife. The five things you want God to do for your husband. The five things you want God to do for your daughter or for your son. The five things you want God to do in, in you. You see, that's, that's not lazy praying now, is it? Oh, well, God, just bless us. Help us to get through. We've actually sat down and we thought, I know the thing I really want God to do. And I'm specific and I'm bringing that to him. So when God speaks, as I believe he does by his spirit and through the Bible as he speaks to us today, is what would you like me to do for you? Oh, well, I don't really know. I haven't thought about that. Oh, I thought, I'd just, just bless us, please. You know, what does that mean? How do you know what a blessing is? You know, in the Bible terms, being blessed means you can get a bunch of problems. Will you just bless my family? Yes, Lord, just give us some problems. Because I mean, it's true, isn't it? Because those problems help you to focus on God and sort things out and increase your faith. and sort of. Is that really what you're asking for, though? I fell into that trap years ago when I read that, you know, count every trial pure joy because it will lead to your faith being perfected and growing strong. Oh, Lord, give me some trials. Hang on, that's not what I should be praying. Yes, I want a strong faith, but I don't need the trials. (laughs) They'll come anyway. 
asking you try and be specific write them out take some time so that we're not praying lazy vague prayers be passionate be persistent be precise fourthly be positive you see I've got all P's (laughs) well actually I haven't got fifth one it's not P expect God to act trust God to answer in verse 42 Jesus said to the man see your faith has made you well whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you will receive it and it will be yours so if you don't expect him to answer you don't really pray no point is there then some of us do pray, but we only pray perfunctory. We're not putting our heart into it. We don't really want it. We haven't really thought what we want God to do. But what we have, we should believe that God wants to do it then. If it's in line with... You see, if you're a Christian, you are trying to live in God's will. And he, that's what he wants in your life. Oh, I'm sure, not sure what God's will is. Yes, you do. All the things that are good, pure and holy and righteous. And someone else says to me, but pastor, I don't have much faith. Well then use the faith you have. Hmm? Use the faith you have. A little faith in a big God gets big answers. It's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the size of your God. Isn't it? As J.B. Phillips used to say back in the 60s, how big is your God? If you only have a God that you put in your pocket and pull out for an hour or two on a Sunday, then it's not very big. (coughs) If you've got a God who is the creator of the universe and actually... Despite the falling of sin, he's working his purposes out through generation after generation, and it will happen, then my God is big. He can do all things. There is nothing he can't do. And he can supply all my needs. I've got a big God. My faith at times is terrible. But I trust him. And he can do all things. There was a man who came to Jesus once. You can read it in the New Testament. He said, Jesus, I need my son to be healed. And Jesus said to him, do you believe I can heal him? And he said, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus said, that's good enough. And he healed him. I believe in the power of God. Help my unbelief. Secret to being positive in uh, in prayer is to get into the Word of God and recognize the promises of God. What has He promised? Holding on to them. I read about a man who was traveling back from America to Scotland some years ago. It's a different generation in a sense. He got on board the ship, he'd managed to save enough money. 
<coughs> to get on board and um, he had nothing to eat. So the whole journey across, sailing back across the Atlantic, he lived, oh, the only thing he ate was, a, was some peanut butter. Uh, and then he began to look pasty and weak and a bit frail. And, and his roommate said to him, you don't, you don't look well. <laughs> What's wrong with you? He says, well, I'm starving. I'm, I, you know, I've, I've only had peanut butter. And he remember well, why? Didn't you realise that your ticket included meals for every day? And that's like us. We're on the journey, but God has promised to provide all our needs. We need to be positive when we come and pray. I need a miracle, Lord. My last point. We're going to, we're going to pray after this. <laughs> so we sing a song and we pray. My last point is when you pray for a miracle, be grateful. Come and give a P. <laughs> so it's be grateful. When the miracle happens, show your gratitude. Two things a man did after he received his, his miracles. Wasn't it? He followed Jesus and gave thanks to God. Ten lepers came to Jesus and all of them were healed. Only one came and said thank you. We should be as specific in our praise as we are in our prayers. We need to be precise. We need to be positive. We need to be persistent. We need to be passionate. Now, it's one thing to talk about (coughs) praying for a miracle. It's another thing to actually pray for one, isn't it? I've got another assignment for you to do. (laughs) I never know if you're going to do this or not. Time to time, I'll say, this is your homework. I don't know. This is totally up to you. It's not like some of the teachers and, you know, please hand it in, I'm going to mark it. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. This is just the challenge. Practical assignment. If we go on to the next slide, you'll see a list here. Thank you, Murray. Where do you need a miracle? I'm asking you that specifically. Where do you need a miracle? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your family? Is it your health? Is it your job or your finances? Is it something to do with your neighbourhood? Is it something to do with your church? Something to do with our nation and the world? Whatever it might be. Where do you need a miracle? I want you to take some time and write it down and be specific. Go back and say, all right, I want to know those other things specifically for my wife, my husband, my children, my work colleagues. Some some months ago, I wrote out a prayer diary for us as a church because I felt there were specific things we needed to pray for. I don't know if anyone still uses it. I use it every day. Every day. I can tell you this morning, we pray for, on the 26th, 26th day of the month, we pray for our evangelistic outreach. I'll tell you what, I, I know them off by heart. 27th, we pray for our youth workers. <laughs> because there's specific things I want to see for this church. What is the specific thing you're asking God for your life? 
Don't be lazy. Don't just say, well, I prayed it once, God didn't do anything, so I've given up. Be like that man. Son of David, have mercy on me. Help me. Shall we close our eyes and pray together? Would the worship band like to come up and join me, please, so we can sing the next song? I just want you to pause for a second. What is it you want God to do? Do you believe that he can do it? Otherwise there's no point in praying. (laughs) Will you persist in it? Will you be specific, precise? Will you expect God to act? Be absolutely quiet. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Let your kingdom come. Break in with power in our lives today. What do you want him to do?
Amen. As we sing this song, as we close the service together, I believe there's people here who've got sickness, who've got broken relationships, who've got a a lost hope. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you can't see the future. We would love to pray with you this morning because I believe in miracles. I believe in a God who is all-powerful. And I'm not saying that miracle is going to happen right now because I can't click my fingers. But I do believe that we will pray and persistently pray and keep on asking. And we'd like to pray with you. And if there's someone here where you say, I just need some help, you don't have to give a speech, you don't have to join this church, but as we sing this song, I'd like you to come and stand at the front. One of our prayer team members will stand with you. We'd just like to pray with you. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand. You come.